Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 484. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. Our first sponsor thank you goes to Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Visit them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Two weeks ago, you heard from Shannon Algier and Jessica Galen as we discussed the 2020 Young Farmers and Cooks Conference, held last week as a virtual event attracting more than 1,000 attendees worldwide. In our Slow Flowers podcast conversation, Shannon and Jessica shared the story of the Stone Barn Center for Food and Agriculture and gave us a preview of the conference. I want to thank Shannon, a Slow Flowers member, Stone Barn Center's resident flower growing expert, and co-director of the Arts and Ecology Lab for inviting me to gather and moderate the panel that you'll hear today. It was such a joy to curate and moderate a flower-focused panel, especially at an all-agriculture-focused conference. And I'd like to share the audio of that conversation as today's podcast episode. You'll hear from five Slow Flowers members, each of whom discusses her or his unique approach to agricultural entrepreneurship. They include Asha Lurie of Patagonia Flower Farm, Julio Fritas of The Flower Hat, Taj Cotton and VC Victoria Edwards Cotton of Periwinkle Farm, and Julius Tillery of Black Cotton U.S., As I said at the beginning of our panel, clearly I am not a young farmer, but through my passion for the Slow Flowers movement, I hope to shine a light on several of our members, flower farming pioneers, who you'll meet today. I'll introduce all of them and then we'll jump right into the conversation. First up, Taj and Victoria. After responding to a Craigslist ad for Valentine's Day in 2017 at Preston Flowers, Taj and Victoria were hooked on flowers. They quit their jobs and traveled North Carolina's Piedmont farming region, talking with any farmer who had the time for them. They quickly realized they wanted to farm. Now farming alongside their mentors and farmily, Michael Perry and Kathy Jones of Periwinkle Farm, the young couple helps sustainably farm four acres in northern Chatham County, North Carolina specializing in seasonal vegetables, specialty cut flowers, and pasture-laying hens. Periwinkle Farm attends three regional farmer's markets, Farrington Village, which is a seasonal market, and two Carborough farmer's markets, one seasonal and one year-round. Taj and Victoria reside in Chatham County, North Carolina, with their two adorable flower-loving children, Carly and Titus. 
I first met Taj and VC at the 2018 Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers Annual Conference in Raleigh, when Destiny made sure we were seated together at the same banquet table. I've been following their adventures on social media ever since, and I'm delighted to welcome them today. Next up, you'll meet Julius Tillery, founder and CEO of Black Cotton U.S. Julius is the North Carolina State Coordinator for the Black Family Land Trust. He's a fifth-generation, lifelong row crop commodities producer of cotton, soybeans, and peanuts from northeastern North, North Carolina. He has worked as an advocate and resource provider in the North Carolina agriculture and environmental sectors since 2009. Julius has also worked at Rural Advancement Foundation International and the Conservation Fund. He currently serves on the Southern Administrative Council for SARE, that's the Sustainable Agriculture Research and Education Council, and the North Carolina Forestry Advisory Council. Julius is a rural economic development advocate and is also known for his entrepreneurial business role as founder of Black Cotton U.S. You can find Julius anywhere between his farm working on producing crops, on other farms helping consult with new enterprise development, or at any meeting that is focused on improving the lives of farmers and farming communities across the U.S. Julius is a graduate of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill with a degree in economics and a minor in entrepreneurship, which he received in 2008. Two other panelists may be familiar to you as past guests of the Slow Flowers podcast. You'll hear from Asha Lurie, founder and CEO of Patagonia Flower Farms based in Patagonia, Arizona. She's an artistic florist who combines her love for water-wise and organic farming techniques to produce affordable, healthy, and fresh-cut flowers. As a gardener who began her flower farming career in 2017, Asha started her micro farm on her home's property after getting tired of driving 20 miles out of town to buy overpriced and imported flowers that she didn't like. By merging her expertise and knowledge of crop planning, propagation, harvesting, drying, and arranging, Asha was able to turn her beloved hobby into a thriving business that celebrates eco-consciousness and the local economy. Asha has taught several classes about sprouts, microgreens, and propagation, and today serves with Borderlands Restoration Network to further its native species and public education programs. She considers her flowers a local, affordable, and well-deserved luxury. Each flower in Asha's hand-picked bouquets are lovingly grown to ensure health, vibrancy, and longevity of the ingredients. And finally, you'll hear from Julia Fritas, owner of The Flower Hat. The Flower Hat is a floral design studio and flower farm nestled in the beautiful mountains of Gallatin Valley in Bozeman, Montana. The studio is headed by internationally published designer Julio Fritas, whose design style embraces the seasons to create a loose natural aesthetic that has graced hundreds of events, including many high-profile and celebrity weddings. In an attempt to provide his clients with the best blooms, Julio decided to incorporate a flower farming component to the business operation. He started his growing operations on 1,800 square feet quickly leased a quarter-acre plot for a few years where he was able to grow and harvest thousands of flowers by using high-intensity techniques. Those locally grown flowers are truly the treasures that make his designs so spectacular. 
Today, The Flower Hut is a thriving company that stays busy during the summer with weddings, selling flowers to florists and wholesalers. The company is also known for its coveted Dahlia tubers that sell out in a matter of minutes when they go on sale, and they'll be going on sale in a few months. Julio regularly hosts on-farm summer workshop intensives that go deep into the business model that makes The Flower Hut such a successful little company. The classes combine hands-on floral design experience, the business behind weddings and events, and small scale flower farming. Julio also finds room in his schedule to share everything he knows with others through floral design demonstrations as well as presentations about his high-intensity flower farming techniques on his Facebook group called the Flower Hat Exchange. I posed three questions for discussion in this panel. First, I asked each panelist to share an overview of their floral enterprise, who they are, what do they produce and grow, and where are they located, and how long have they been farming. Next, we talked about how flowers are part of their farm's business model, how they sell, and what market do they serve. And finally, why flowers? Why grow flowers instead of food, or why integrate flowers into a food-growing operation? So let's jump right in and hear more. And you can find photos, links, and more resources about all five of these inspiring voices in today's show notes for episode 484 at DebraPrinzen.com. Hi, everybody. I'm Deborah Prinzing, and I am going to be asking questions of our panelists, and they're going to kind of tell their story. So we're going to start with Taj Cotton and VC Victoria Edwards Cotton. I call her Victoria and VC. I don't know why. I just like them both. Of uh, Periwinkle Farm in Pittsburgh, North Carolina. So would you guys just introduce your floral enterprise, tell about what you're growing and your story, um, how long you've been farming, and um, all the above. And I'll just click through the slides to introduce you. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having us. We are so ecstatic to be a part of this. Um, So we started farming three years ago. We just kind of quit our jobs and decided, you know, we wanted something else. Um, We didn't really know what that was, but we wanted something else. Um, Like Deborah said, we did do a whole lot of traveling, just trying to find people who would talk to us, who would spend time with us, anyone who could just give us that next little glimmer of hope or shine or whatnot. Um, So um, we've been working for Periwinkle Farm for the last two and a half years, almost three years. Um, We farm like a half acre of regular potatoes, sweet potatoes, um, kales, collards, peppers. We do a little bit of everything, flowers, and then we do chickens for um, eggs. Yeah, we also sell at three different markets. We sell at uh, Carborough Market on Wednesdays and Saturdays, and then the Farrington Village Market on Tuesdays. And that's pretty much our flower markets is direct to customer at uh, farmer's market. So we do some bucket sales for weddings and events. Uh, And this year we dabbled in direct to a florist. So, I mean, that was mostly on our push. uh. (laughs) Yeah. So our farm, we farm for Mike and Kathy of Periwinkle Farm. They also are a married couple. So that's really interesting. You know, when we started this off, we were just looking like every time we went to a farm, we tried to find a little piece of that farm that we wanted to carry over, like what we had imagined in our own farm. Um, So to be with them, like was amazing. Um, So um, we 
we farm with alongside of them. And we've kind of gotten to the point now where it's interchangeable. I mean, I don't, we don't live on the farm, but we feel just as invested into the farm. I mean, if we lost the whole crop, we would all be equally as sad. I mean, um, this is our home. They've made it a really nice place for us. We can grow. We've kind of you know, we push these kind of seeds and we're trying to grow more flowers, uh, the lizzies that are in front of our sun. This is our second year doing those. And we grow those outside. Miss um, Kathy, like, just had never tried them, wasn't really into them. And we kind of came along and pushed it. Um, that's one of our more high-end flowers. So we kind of pushed them a little bit and they are you know, the, the people behind the scenes who are like, well, we tried that and that didn't work. Or, you know, they're, yeah. they're just they're that brain, you know, it's like we can, we all come together and we're like one super brain. We're kind of, kind of like the kids who came back and was like, Hey, this is what we can do to the farm. Like, social let's do media. the social media thing. Let's <laughs> add this flower. Like, let's try this. So, you know, we're very, very happy being there. Um, yeah. That, yeah, that's, that's great. Much it, I, <laughs> I love these photos that you put together, just showing uh, family life on the farm. I, this one was your, your little boy was very young here when you were farming with a baby in your front pack, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've just we've done a little bit of everything. For us, I've only been farming for three years. Like it has completely been on warp speed. It doesn't feel like three years. It feels like maybe thirty-three years, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's just, it's um, it's been a whirlwind, but in only the greatest way possible. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, I mean, like, right now, you know, with COVID, our kid does virtual learning, and so they're out on the farm. Like, that's the kind of, that's the farm that we have with um, Perry Winkle. It's like our kids are more than welcome to come there. We're homeschooling. We're working around their schedule, our own schedule. And with kids on a farm, it takes a lot longer to do anything anyway. So, I mean... My, our kids call them farm on farm pop. This oh, is that's like awesome. our second. <laughs> so yeah, that's, it's been good. That's neat. Okay. I think we're going to jump to uh, Julius Tillery. Julius, Julius, are you on? I don't see you in the. Yes, I am. I'm here. Great. Well, <laughs> here you go. Tell us about your story. Well, um, Julius Tillery, uh, founder of Black Cotton. Uh, I'm a lifelong cotton farmer with my father and grandfather. Um, my grandfather passed away in 2017, but uh, as someone who's raised uh, cotton all my life, I, I didn't see many opportunities in it, and uh, I had to find beauty in the cotton to be able to make and create opportunities, and that's pretty much what we do with Black Cotton, is we take cotton that we raise in our family farming um, enterprise, and we turn it into beautiful decorations and uh, accessories, and we try to ship them all across the country. Wow. Did you farm uh, growing up or did you see it as like a really big drag and a, you couldn't wait to get away from the farm? It was like a chore, you know, just like cutting grass, you know, washing dishes, doing this, doing that, farm, you know, farming, you yeah. know. Yeah. So something brought you back, though. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I work with my dad and my grandfather's getting older uh, he died in 93 in 2017. So, you know, I seen him was getting older and my dad, it was a lot on my dad's, you know, low, you know, and I just didn't, I didn't understand how, you know, how we was going to continue to do it with the profit margins being what it is, you know? And uh, 
I thought there's hope in the crop. And I just had to look around and see opportunity because I knew I was going to do it every year. I just had to change the direction of how we was doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's so great. Well, we'll get into more about your market in the next question. Um, I I love your branding. It's fabulous. Uh, Let's switch to Asha Lurie, our Arizona girl, and uh, welcome you and uh, give us a little introduction and snapshot of Patagonia Flower Farm, Asha, while I move through the slides. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. So um, I have a really a micro farm. I'm growing on 4,000 square feet. I'm in the in southern Arizona. We're actually in what's called the Sky Islands. We're in a mountain region. We're about um, 4,000 square feet above sea level. Um, I've been farming for about five years, four years to market. And when we first moved here to Patagonia, my husband and I, that's Sebastian, worked for a retreat center we both did. He grew all their vegetables um, year round and I worked in their sprout house and grew microgreens and wheatgrass. And once I stopped working there, I was like, okay, I wanna grow something, but I don't wanna grow vegetables. I don't wanna grow microgreens, I wanna grow flowers. And that's how it all started. Here's some. So you're growing mostly everything in the field crops. You have no covered structures, really, do you? No, we don't have any high tunnels. So everything's out in the field. Sebastian is is was before was in building and construction. So he's done all of our infrastructure, and he's building a um, a cold frame for me. So that's the closest thing to a greenhouse that I'll have. But um, eventually, hopefully, we will. But right now, you know, with the the temperature here, we're, we're able to do it outside, everything outside. I, I wanted you to talk about the tulips. I, that's why I added this slide. This is like one of your um, hottest crops. Like people aren't yeah. used to tulips in Arizona, are they? Not really because it doesn't get cold enough. So I figured out a way to um, do the tulips inside my cooler uh, hydroponically. <laughs> so these are all done hydroponically and can be put in a vase with the bulb just like that or potted up in in soil Mm. yeah so that was something I discovered last year really trying to figure out how to bridge the circle between um, seasons to keep you know something to be able to bring income in every month without skipping a month and this was one of the ways that I did it. Wow, yeah. that's great. Okay, Asha, thanks. I'm going to jump uh, to uh, Julio Fritas, the flower hat. Everyone who follows him on social media knows he often wears this beautiful... Well, you have a lot of flower hats, Julio, don't you? <laughs> I have a lot of flower hats. I'm not wearing one today, though. <laughs> okay. I do have hair. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your website. Why don't you give us an introduction? Yep, that's my website. Uh, my name is Julio. I have been a floral designer for 10 years, and in the last six, uh, I've been growing a lot of my own flowers as well. We started growing on four raised beds. It was a super small operation, just like four by 10 beds. And every year I just kept feeling like I needed more and more flowers because I needed more and more uh, variety. Yeah, that's my very first garden right there with the zinnias. Um, so eventually, uh, I'm in Bozeman, Montana, which is not conducive to um agriculture because real estate here is so expensive so we plan on building our house one day so we found this plot of land that was actually just right behind our studio 
and it's just it's just under an acre. And um, I've been growing flowers there for two years now. So next year will be our third season. Uh, and just like Asha, I don't have any structures. I don't have any coverings. Um, it's not fun or exciting or easy to do it in Montana, but we do it. Um, and just because the climate here is so harsh, like I, instead of trying to find ways to make some crops work for me, I just worked with crops that would do well in this climate. Um, because I always say like, I'm a florist first and then farming comes second. So any time, any, anything that I can do to make farming a little bit easier for me, I I'll do it. But, uh, we grow a lot of perennials, we grow delphiniums, tulips, daffodils, yarrows, and a lot of cool, cool, loving flowers, I guess, like ranunculus and anemones do really well here. And we're also known for our dahlias that you're seeing there. Um, we grow about 6,000 of them and we have a big dahlia tuber sale in the winter. And we just, just again, to, because the climate is so hard, our season is so short and we don't have that much space. I just try to focus on really good colors for weddings and flowers that are what we call like cut and come agains. Um, so I don't have to keep planting um, every, every few weeks or so. <clears throat> It's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to stop the, sh the screen now and kind of introduce to everybody. And let's just talk next about um, how flowers are part of your business model. Uh, you've, some of you have touched on what you sell and what markets you've served, but let's elaborate on that a little bit. Uh, Taj and VC, I was super interested in your comment about uh, pushing, uh, you know, Kathy and Michael, who are veteran farmers, to, to kind of try new things that maybe are reaching a different demographic, maybe a younger customer. I mean, what what component of flowers make up all your activities? Because I know you have other, you know, vegetables and chickens uh, on your plate as well. How do, how, do you, uh, how do you prioritize and make sure you're touching flowers every day? Well, we try to have something floral year-round. Uh, I mean, right now we don't have any flowers in the ground, but we, we dry flowers and we've been – trying to step our game up with the reeds, uh, very popular, <laughs> uh, very, very time intense to create. But I mean, I mean, you kind of just gotta give people what they want. I mean, I mean, it's just part of, it's part of the game. We, we also, for our market, we, well, since COVID, we had to switch things up. We used to do a thing where we kind of have a, a flower bar and people would come to our stands and they make their own bouquets or buy by the stem or buy by the hand handful or whatever. whatever. And uh, we had to change that up a little bit. So it was kind of like assembly line of flowers every Friday for, or every Tuesday and Wednesday. We make what well, we gathered uh, a certain amount of, of flowers each day and uh during the weekday, it was about 20 to 30. Saturdays, it was about 100 bouquets for a Saturday between just bouquets, mixed bunches, straight bunches, and then single stems like Dutch irises and gladiola. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's funny because we're, we're at this point now where, I mean, we just kind of, we get on Instagram and we see what everyone else is posting and... <laughs> Every time we're like, oh, we should try this. And we go back and we tell Miss Kathy, she's like, oh, well, I tried that. And blah, blah. like, I, you know, <laughs> she's just like, oh, okay. Yeah, it was nothing special, but it's something now that we're interested in. And so she's like, we'll revisit it. I mean, so it's, it's been really, really good. I mean, mm -hmm. 
you can't really ask for a better partnership like that. They're, you know, when she's making seed orders, it's like, okay, what colors do we need? Um, you know, should we even be growing? Should we be growing this? Is this something we like people want anymore? Um, so we've just kind of come in and we help kind of fine tune that. Um, I think we do everything really well. Like we, I wouldn't say we're necessarily just flower florist or vegetables or just do eggs. We kind of try to be really good in all of those things. Wow. That's Um, amazing. Yeah. I mean, honestly, flowers are harder to farm than I would think vegetables. Like flowers, you do kind of have to always be touching them. Uh, Dutch irises, we might pick those like two or three times a day, just depending on the weather. Um, just so we can have that perfect harvest. That is one of the few flowers that we do sell to Weaver Street, which is like a co-op owned grocery store. Um, so flowers, we pretty much touch all the time. Mm. Vegetables, we're doing probably just as much, but we, you don't like, we only have to touch those like to weed them, to plant them, to harvest them. So it's kind of, you know, we're touching the flowers way more. And then chickens, Mr. Mike kind of holds on to that. That's like his main project. Um, Whenever he does need help, we step in. But for the most part, we try to be really good at all of those things. Um, So I wanted to, uh, you talked about uh, wanting to sell to florists and that you guys kind of pushed that. Can you talk a little bit about how you developed that uh, business? It seems like you're both very design oriented and want that value added. you know, facet to the business. Um, did So did you reach out to Florist or did they reach out to you? Well, that's, I mean, that's how we started. So like, like I said, our Craigslist, our Craigslist. Ad, <laughs> that was a real thing. Like it was the week of Mother's Day and no, it was Valentine's, Valentine's Day. And it was, it was like a uh, epiphany. Like I needed to be invested in flowers. I needed to spend most of my time with flowers. Let's try something different. <laughs> like yes. let's just do something that we wouldn't normally do because we were just at that really weird point where we didn't know what we wanted to do. So it's just kind of like full circle, just to we, be able. We made to. it to the farm, and just to be able to sell back to the floors is kind of where mm, we want to go. Right. I, I mean, it it wasn't with the floors that we started with, but it was a it was a relationship that we had built with another person who was doing flowers flower for the exact same but reason. But now she works for another of uh, a floors in a separate part of town. So it's. Like I said, it's full circle. It, every, like she said, warp speed, everything for us has kind of been like the stars aligned. I can't say that's <laughs> happened for everybody. I mean, it's definitely been some struggles, but it's, it's working yeah. out for us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Flores is a whole different ball game. Like this year, we just kind of like realized that um, we, we like the hands-on. We're like the market people. You know, we like to come and we like to be really involved and have that connection. Um, I feel like if we went forth with florists, it would probably just be to these like two special kind of like definitely Preston because that's who we started with. They kind of gave us the background and the go. But, um, you know, we wouldn't try to sell that many. It's it's a very different ballgame for florists than it is to just, oh, let's range them ourselves and take them to market Okay, um, let's jump over to uh, Julius. And just to cut you off, sorry, guys, we're going to move forward. Julius, we're talking about flowers, and obviously you're growing a fiber. And I, I'm wondering how you started redefining cotton as a f- 
kind of a decorative floral type of ingredient. I mean, everything you sell is value added. Can you describe how how that came to be? Well, um, it initially started with uh, someone asking for a box of cotton to use as decoration in Indiana. It was a farmer from Indiana. And I sent that first box and then I started putting cotton on, you know, stems of cotton, uh, like in a cotton mason jars. And people be like, oh, that's so beautiful. And I realized people was looking at how people use, will treat like roses. So I said, you know, black cotton is the new rose because it lasts forever and it's just as stylish. And from, you know, starting that idea of putting it as rose, I started to create, you know, vase arrangements, mention looks, um, and even when you're talking about roses, I thought start getting into the reef game. I got my heart <laughs> reef right here. Wonderful. Oh my gosh. That's beautiful. Are you selling mostly online or I know you do a farmer's market too, right? Well, I've done some farmers markets. I do mostly online sales now because of COVID. You know, you know, it's pretty much took over this year for me, uh, in regards to being out at markets. And I like being out at markets. It's efficient because you don't have to pay shipping costs. But at the same time, with the internet, you have unlimited opportunities. So I, I would suggest to people who's into flower game, market market wide, because flowers can ship. Your flowers also are basically not perishable because cotton it can you're not sh- having to FedEx. You can do or overnight you can do ground and that sort of thing. I'm guessing. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. What um, one of the things that I really like about your product is that you're showing the whole part of the cotton with the 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 pod and the stem and like that is that that is educating so many people about what this product looks like when it's first when it's grown. I mean, most people aren't aren't familiar with it. Well, um, you know, I've learned from other agricultural industries that you should use the whole plant, and I felt like. It- industry we was using the whole plant we leave a lot you know after the combines come through so i was just thinking creatively what we could do with it and you know people just like connecting to the touch of something real grown in the country they they can make a connection with uh connect to how people you know feel about it's giving a feeling same thing with flowers so i've been pursuing that's great. So, how would you describe your markets? They're mainly it's mainly retail, or are you also growing selling wholesale to other um, makers? It's varied, it's diversified, but most I like doing retail. But I, I host like I do individual deals on all deals. Please reach out to me if you want to if you want some cotton. <laughs> awesome, I love it. <laughs> okay, let's jump over to. Uh, to Julio and talk about, and you've talked a little bit about being a, a florist. And mm-hmm. uh, so I'm assuming flowers are 100% part of your business model. But in terms of growing, how does that how does that look in terms of your um, facets? I know you're, you've just got a lot of entrepreneurship going on with your uh, non flower products such as tu- tubers and, and, and bulbs. So mm-hmm. can you sli- show, tell us how you slice up that pie, Julio? Yeah, so we, um, and even before COVID, we we're lucky that we book weddings about like six months to a year before um, before the actual wedding date. So we can plan the farm around the weddings that we are going to be having the following summer. Um, so we pretty much sell to ourselves. I mean, one acre is not that much flowers to grow, especially considering, it's not much space to grow on, especially considering that 
half of that is dahlias, and then the other half is annuals, biannuals, perennials. So it's it's a pretty it's a pretty tight um, uh, uh, production. But what I what I really noticed when I started my style has changed a lot because of growing my own flowers. Um, I remember when I started, I used to do these really tight arrangements that you'd probably see in a like a window shop in New York City, which was great and sold really well. But like eventually when I started growing my own flowers, I started noticing how the plant grew, just like you were talking to Julia, like how every part of the plant could be used. So sometimes we'll use foliage that you wouldn't necessarily use because it's not a cut flower, but because I grow it, I know that it was cut fresh. I can use it in my arrangements. And I, once I started doing that, I realized that a lot of the weddings that I was getting was they were giving me inspiration photos from designers like Sarah Winward and Siren Floral and Ariella Shazar and Max Gill. Like, and they all use local flowers. They all support the local flower movement. And it all kind of came together. Like, my, like I said, my design style really evolved from uh, growing my own flowers and I now like more whimsical and garden-esque style, if you will. Um, and it's kind of paid off because I can grow whatever I want and use it in my wedding. Even if, even if it's something that like, what we try to do is grow anything that doesn't ship well and is actually really hard to find. So like I spent countless amounts of hours researching seed companies and what seeds I can find to grow in this climate. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you one more question, then we're going to go to Asha because I realized I skipped my order. Um, when we talk about what markets you serve, I feel like you have the wedding market you have, and then you have the, who's buying like your tubers and, and is that like the home gardener or is that other flower farmers? Um, so I really try to focus my, all of the color palette that we grow into more like a wedding color palette. So a lot of whites, a lot of burgundies, pastels, peaches, corals. Um, so there are a lot of farmers that will, um, buy the tubers at least like to start because a lot of the wholesalers will require you to buy sometimes 50, sometimes 100 out of one variety. And a lot of the, the professional farmers want to try out to see if that variety will work. So a lot of those people are actually professional farmers buying from me. But there is also a lot of home gardeners that will buy, like they really want the big dahlias that we would use probably like in an urn at the beginning of the aisle that also serves that market that just really want the big showy flowers on their uh, front garden so their neighbors can talk about it. <laughs> uh, so, and, and then there's everybody else in between and there's a lot of florists that are also growing their own flowers too. And they have a very small backyard and they can't get dahlias because dahlias are really hard to ship. And they just buy some of the tubers to grow themselves. Mm, cool. Yeah. Asha, yeah. Asha, can uh, you talk about your, how flowers, uh, I know flowers are hundred percent part of your business model, but how your model is broken up. What are the pieces of your pie in your marketplace? Well, I would say about 90% of my business is um, subscription. So I have a spring, summer, winter subscription program. I have clients here in Patagonia and also in Tucson now. Um, and then I start, I just got my, my flower delivery van this year. So um, I, have, I have flowers at a health food store here in Patagonia as well as in Tucson. So that's most of my business. And is it year round? 
Yeah, well, it is starting to be. This year, I think it is going to be. So I have a winter. My winter subscription is like Amaryllis. So my summer and spring subscription is once a week. They'll receive a flower arrangement once a week, and they get to choose what size they'd like. Um, and then in the wintertime, it goes once to, once a month. So like this month, um, they'll get an Amaryllis, potted Amaryllis, and then they'll get different bulbs throughout um, as I'm forcing bulbs. Mm-hmm. And then am, the ranunculus and anemones will come in the springtime and this was the first year I started making wreaths and drying flowers and and things like that so yeah I think it's all going to be all I'll have something for people to buy all every month of the year that's so exciting it's great and uh I love that you are open to trying new things and introducing new products to a kind of a remote marketplace that hasn't had access to local flowers very much. No, where we live, you have to drive at least 20 to 30 miles to a, a, a large chain supermarket to get flowers. And then when you get those flowers, who knows where they come from and they the colors are kind of crazy and unnatural. So I think people are really excited about having something local. Uh, to support and buy. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's a perfect segue, Asha, to our kind of a wrap up question, which is sort of self evident why flowers? You can tell we're all sold on the idea that flowers are a really important option for small scale agriculture. But um, let's just do, a, let's go around and talk to all of our panelists about, you know, what, what is, if, what is your kind of heart telling you about this as a sort of a passion, but also a good business decision, uh, growing flowers instead of food or growing flowers aside, alongside food? Uh, Taj and VC, can you take that question first? Like you said, outside of just having a passion for flowers, I mean, for our farm, it's crop diversity. I mean, flowers definitely are more equitable. I mean, we do about 50-50, but it's about 60-40 in terms of how much money we make on the mm. farm. So, uh, And also, we, we have chickens, so we bring our chickens onto, past, onto the pasture, like in the field where we grow our vegetables and things, and they'll graze there. And then after that, you can't put vegetables back where the chickens have pasture. So there's a never an empty spot so we just immediately put flowers so it's i mean for us it just kind of balances out our farm yeah it brings pollinators which help our vegetables and then it attracts customers to our stand at market i mean you see all these flowers it just has the pop and the color so it's more attractive for us and our farm yeah farmer's market is kind of like a, a theater production you have your setup you have all these beautiful colors and then the bell rings and the customers come in and it's like camera action and you you want to sell the presentation is the seller. <laughs> yeah. Man, you're just getting like this full 360 degree education in how to have your own farm someday if that is one of your goals. Can you just talk about that briefly? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that was the goal, but I mean, as you've heard, I mean, we've kind of created a home at Periwinkle Farm. I mean, that's a farm that's already established and it's a 30-year-old farm. We, we're we're 30 both years. 30 years old. <laughs> I mean, we can't get the soil. I mean, it would just take forever. There's lots of benefits, but we can't ever build the soil that fast. Um, and, I mean, we're just really happy there. Mm. They, I mean, we have that same luxury as if it was our own farm. So we have no reason to leave. We don't see oh. ourselves leaving anything. That's a wonderful sentiment. And, yes, you are as old as the farm. That is really scary. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's so cool. I mean, literally, and that's, you know, we also have that mentorship. So these yeah. things that we want to try, it's like, oh, wait, that doesn't grow here. Or, ooh, no, you know, it's just we already have that instant feedback. So we don't have to waste time necessarily. We that's can just so move forward and figure out the next best trap. Oh, I love <laughs> it. That's wonderful. Uh, okay, let's see. Uh, Julius, Mr. Black Cotton, you're back. Yes. Uh, do you grow, you have a family history of also growing food, right? I mean, how how have have you taken the cotton and spun it off as a separate business? Because I know in your bio you mentioned that you uh, also had uh, soybeans and peanuts in your family farming legacy. What do you what is your priority now? Is is it cotton? Cotton is my priority. That's for black cotton. But alongside cotton, we raise soybeans and um, green leafy vegetables in the uh, particular fall, winter with my father. And, and you know, so um, we have a diverse approach to family farm. But I separated black cotton for specifically, you know, to for the specific brand in the, in the communities I'm trying to reach nationwide. Mm. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're really building a brand that could you have so much potential in redefining what cotton is uh, for agriculture and also for uh, black farming. And I that, that's what I really uh, c- caught my attention and caught my uh, passion when I saw how you were just owning it and, de- you know, claiming and designing uh, a narrative that was, you know, your truth. And so I applaud you for that. And I, I want to see where you go with this next. I believe that, you know, <laughs> with the right mentality and the right mindset, we all can go far. I think mean, this is the time people know that we do farm and we're doing well to the earth. Absolutely. That's awesome. Okay, we have two more people and we have enough time to ask them about why flowers. <laughs> so, uh, Julio, you want to jump in? I think you've kind of addressed some of it, which is it's in, flowers are enhancing, growing flowers are enhancing your, your design business in, entirely, right? Oh, 100%. So, um, the, the the second part of what I was talking about, which answers this question, is once I started getting all these Pinterest photos with um, of like these very hard to find flowers and I started growing them myself, I noticed that the more I used those flowers, the more the budgets were going up and up. Like we do fifty, sixty thousand dollar weddings now, and that's just like our, our normal and that's what people want. I can do I can do a fifty thousand dollar wedding with straw flower, the little zinnias. Lysianthus and dahlias, like because they're willing to pay for it to get that look. So there is definitely money to be made in flowers. Um, and I think the biggest, I don't know if this is a misconception or not, but I've seen a lot of people treating flowers as just like a, a very much side business, but they don't dedicate a whole lot of time and effort into it. But like it can be profitable, but you have to be consistent and you have to be efficient with it. It's just like growing food. But you have to prioritize it too. Like you have to pick at the right time. I've seen so many people growing zinnias and you go to buy them. And this is like even from farmers that I used to buy from when I didn't grow my own. Like the centers are blown open. The, the, the flower maybe has a day or two left in it. I'm like, but if you if you 
if you cut it at the right time, like local flowers can last so long, so much longer than anything else you can get in your market. And it looks fresher. It looks so much more beautiful, but you have to take it seriously and you have to be consistent with your quality and you have to be efficient in your processes because otherwise it will just take over your life and then you're not able to grow anything. (laughs) (laughs) But there's definitely money to be made in local flowers Mm -hmm. for sure. Wow. Thanks. Uh, Asha, you've grown food in your past uh, and you've worked in native plants and restoration, but you've, your path has taken you to flowers and it seems like you're very happy where you are. But uh, other than the psychic benefit, <laughs> what what is your argument for growing flowers? Well, I think that with, I think, you know, flowers are an accent to everything, to every part of our life. You know, when we talk about cook cooking something in flowers that to me is like a no-brainer um i think they they uplift spirits i think during this whole covid thing my business has boomed why because people need that they need that color and especially being here in the desert where everything is like kind of monotone this time of year to be able to have something bright and beautiful is um is a need so i just think that we should us as a collective should continue to grow flowers and stop importing them from other countries with mm-hmm. all that, you know, that comes along with that. Right. I just think that we need to take that back. And I think there's a high need of it. And I never get threatened when people in the area say, Hey, I want to start a flower farm. I'm like, let's do it, do it. <laughs> you know, I do not get intimidated by that because there's one thing saying it, but there's one thing doing it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'll help them everywhere I can, but you know, it's a lot of work like Julio said, but it's definitely uh, um, a labor of love. I think we can all attest to that. I'm glad you mentioned that, uh, that the sense of community is so powerful in our group of, you know, people who care about local and seasonal and sustainable flowers and the source and origin of their flowers. And then also the design aesthetic that is m- pretty much dependent on that seasonal value. Uh, I just thank you all so much for joining us. Apologies for the technical difficulties, but, you know, we're, we can't be together for many reasons and this is the next best thing so um i thank everyone for attending this and we'll we'll see you uh, in the future and i appreciate the inspiration that this entire panel has given you guys just rock i i want a, a day with each of you because there's so much to learn and so much to talk about and our people are thanking you all in the chat too so i'm delighted that that we had such a good audience and uh Yep, we'll see you in the deep dives. Take care. All right, thanks everybody. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye. so much for joining us today. What a great session. We did have some audio and technical challenges. So I promised to bring back Julius Tillery from Black Cotton US for a full episode in the near future. So you can really hear from him. And I hope to also host a longer podcast conversation with Taj and Victoria. You can find links to the past episodes about Patagonia Flower Farm and the Flower Hat in today's show notes and social media links for all five of these panelists. 
Our next sponsor thanks goes to the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. Formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Coming up, we have just two more episodes for 2020. Next week on December 23rd is our annual Slow Flowers Holiday Music Special episode featuring the talents of a Slow Flowers member whose life is influenced by both music and flowers. And on Wednesday, December 30th, the final episode of 2020, I'll share our year in review with you. On the horizon, the first episode of 2021 will feature our slow flowers floral insights and industry forecast for 2021 the slow flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 668,000 times by listeners like you thank you for listening commenting and sharing it means so much as our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry the momentum is contagious i know you feel it too 2020 has been a challenging year for all of us, and we have continued to deliver fresh, original content to you through the Slow Flowers podcast, week in and week out, since 2013. Not counting all of the time invested in developing the topics, guests, and content for this podcast, we spend more than $10,000 annually to bring you this award-winning internet radio program. Your financial support can ensure that we continue into 2021. If every listener contributed just $2, those funds would add up quickly to cover our out-of-pocket costs to record, edit, host, and promote the Slow Flowers podcast. Would you consider making a year-end donation? I value your support and invite you to show your thanks to support Slow Flowers' ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprincing.com. We'd be so grateful. Our final sponsor thanks goes to the Gardener's Workshop, which offers a full curriculum of online education for flower farmers and farmer florists. Online education is more important this year than ever, and you'll want to check out the course offerings at thegardenersworkshop.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Mm-hmm.